was one of them. It was uh, nothing. It didn't stand out compared to all the others. It kind of looked the same. <laughs> and uh, the name was weird. And I, I was wondering why why they named it that. And what a strange. Name. And come, uh, you know, was it 2000 when the crash happened? Early 2000, March of 2000, I think the internet crash. Most of those 81 companies evaporated, shut down. There were like three, three or four that succeeded. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. This is part two of our interview with Mir Iran. Imran. Mir, Rani Therapeutics, the robotic pill. This is pretty exciting stuff. For anybody who missed part one, can you give them just the quickest overview on, on kind of the way that you're taking the medical world by storm here? Well, it, it's been a long journey. It started 40, over 40 years ago. But, but it's been driven by trying to identify and understand problems and and hopefully create solutions and it has to me the my journey of innovation understanding innovation is almost as exciting as innovating itself innovating various things and and rani was the culmination of you know more than 30 years of engineering experience medical background and uh, an understanding of this massive problem of delivering biologic drugs or, or orally you know away from injections and it was it, it, it's the simplest product i've created it was the hardest product i have created you know when when you see it the cost of goods for this product is like 25 30 cents for for one robot and to me that is uh, that refinement it took years to to come about it was important and i hope it it actually ends up helping lots of people well you know the idea of of having being able to take a pill that has a sugar needle that that injects into the intestinal wall where there's no pain receptors compared to people taking needles i th- i think you've got something there <laughs> i i hope so i hope so well you know you think about this 800 patents over 20 companies 15 ipos or acquisitions i i look at all that track record and it really interests me in what is it that's different about your approach? Because so many people don't have statistics like that in their backgrounds. I think maybe my first question along this line is, is where did you grow up and how do you think that was an advantage for you? So I, I was born and brought up in India and in, in Hyderabad, which is a city in the center of India and went to school there, high school. I was a tinkerer from the time I could crawl. I used to break up everything apart. One incident was my, I remember I broke the wall clock, pendulum clock, because I wanted to see how it was made. I destroyed the a giant console radio. I thought there were little people inside. <laughs> I wanted to play with them. So my mom once got me down, sat down and said, you know, I don't like yelling and screaming at you. Why do you do this? Why do you destroy? Why are you so destructive? And I said, I just want to know what's inside these things. So, so she said, how do we solve this? You're destroying things that people in the family use. So I said, I, uh, why don't you buy two of everything you get? <laughs> Give me one to destroy and I won't touch the other one. How'd that go over? 
she loved the idea and she started buying two of the same object whether it was a toy or it was a transistor radio for my dad or or a clock or a sewing machine i had my own sewing machine so i could take everything apart and and so that uh, taking apart those innovations each one of these products was an, was a in innovation and and i was unraveling it and trying to understand at a very young age i didn't understand most of it but you know in high school i decided to leave india and come to the us you know without telling my parents and uh, once i got admission in universities here i went to my dad who was a physician and i said you know i need some money to go to the us and, and that was the first time they heard of my desire to leave but they they supported it and i ended up at rutgers university and you know in the early 70s and came alone dragged my in those days they didn't have wheels or suitcases so i, I uh, landed at jfk and found my way and this is you know people always say that this is where these kinds of stories are possible and it's really true you know a high school kid with uh, with big dreams and and destructive personality you know destroying everything well i was so when i started going to engineering school everything started falling in place because the things that i had taken apart and i didn't understand they came to life and and i immediately got deep insights into everything and so from learning to engineer and i became an innovator so the biggest part of my journey was i was fascinated by creativity and our ability to innovate and i read about edison and and other many other test mathematicians and so on and i was fascinated and i used to read to see there must be some secret why and how people innovate and can it be done at will and i couldn't find any book back in the 70s that would tell me that so i said well i'm kind of doing it on my you know naturally i and i'd love to know how i do it so i became a conscious observer of this process of innovation so every problem i was solving i was part of me was observing how, what was the thought process that led me to that and that was a, 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 the most fascinating part of my professional career you know i'm i'm interested we we've had such impressive entrepreneurs on the show who who grew up in india what do you think it is about india that that the great entrepreneurs end up being so great you know it's it's a uh, self selection process you know crazy people like me and others who leave the security and comfort of their home and you know go out in search of adventure and and changing the world so it's a self selection process i think and there are so many of us you know one, <laughs> one and a half billion people people indians so you you're going to get some a few uh, lucky ones or some smart ones but you know i i think there is a the other thing about indians is that there is an emphasis on education in in among indian families and you see that even here indian parents are really particular about education so i, I think it was in my case i had a really brilliant uh, mother who gave me this license to kill you know destroy anything you, <laughs> you know that was that was amazing i'm going to go home and tell my wife that our our 14-year-old son who's ruined so many things by taking apart is on to great things honey we we need to start buying two <laughs> yeah. of everything you know i got to tell you one of my favorite interviews out of 600 episodes was just recently. Uh, do you know Ram Sharan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was an early investor in Google. He he's I, I, you know so so I I was also uh, a small investor in Google at the same time. So 
Oh, really? He's, he's an amazing guy. He's he's brilliant. Yeah, he. I asked him a similar question, and he talked about some of the kind of the entrepreneurial spirit. Like he he worked in his parents' shoe fa- shoe store growing up, and he like you really had to like you really had to do work. You couldn't sit around. Like you you had to figure out what do customers really want, and he just felt like mm-hmm. there's some entrepreneurial spirit growing up there that that benefited him as well. Yeah, I, you know, there's so many amazing stories and Ram Shri Ram is, is, is absolutely an amazing entrepreneur. I'm interested in this thing that you said about your interest in learning how innovation works as much as doing the innovating. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, so, so you know, I, as I said, I became an observer of the process of innovation that was going on in my brain. And it, I was looking for patterns. So it, was there a pattern I was following? But because every company I did, you know, one after another, they were all different. There was nothing common among them that, you know, that I could point to. But by another 10 companies later, about eight or 10 companies later, I began to see a pattern emerge. And the pattern was that I was naturally gravitating towards understanding problems. And so I, 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 you know, my hypothesis was that, and I started teaching this approach to my engineers and scientists, basically focus on the problem. Don't worry about solving it. Uh, focus on the problem, ask the right questions that will lead to solutions. Then go back and focus on the problem again, because you might, those early uh, attempts might shed light on understanding the problem better. So uh, identifying the problem, framing it correctly, understanding it leads you to the solution. Now, of course, you have to have the requisite background. You know, you, you, you know, you, if you are whatever field you're in, you need to understand all the disciplines that intersect with that problem, all the disciplines, if you want to be an innovator. It's, it, you can't be an electrical engineer and with no uh, understanding of chemistry or biochemistry or anatomy and, and able to figure out, because in order to understand the problem, you better have some understanding of medicine and, and, and willingness to dig deep into the problem. So, so a lot of people, scientists and engineers, don't want to cross the boundaries of whatever they were trained in. And to me, I never saw any boundaries. To me, whether it's mechanical engineering, electronics, material science, chemistry, whatever, radio frequency, RF energy, scanning bodies with uh, ground penetrating radar. To me, there was no boundary in anything. The, the, the common theme in my work is chasing after problems. And, and I, I call myself a big game hunter. I look for the biggest problems to solve. And, and you don't succeed every time. You know, you, you, there are, but I, I would rather fail chasing really big uh, problems than succeed and make incremental innovations. I'd rather leave the incremental innovations to the large companies. You know, they can come up with uh, new models of whatever they're making. <laughs> I love that so much. Tell, yeah. tell me more about big game hunting. Tell me how you approach it. Tell me how you think it through. So, so one of the things that drives me is that I do I hate competition. I don't want to compete with the large companies. And the only way I can avoid that is I don't want to play in the same sandbox they're in. I, I want to create my own sandbox. And I I only let them in if they want to buy my company. So they want to buy my sandbox, right? So I, to me, it's such an identifying and figuring out problems that have never been solved. I, I'm constantly attracted to those. You know, I recently started working, thinking about 
glioblastomas, brain cancer, and I'm collaborating with a really brilliant surgeon to uh, see if there's a way to improve the outcomes for these patients. So the toughest problems is what attracts me because I, and I'm fearless. I think that's the other thing. Courage and fearlessness is because I'm not ashamed of failure. I, I'm not devastated by failure. And to me, that is just part of the experiment that you you run trying to understand problems. So that is that's what gives me energy. You know, it makes me think of that Winston Churchill quote, the ability to to have enthusiasm, like the ability to go from failure to failure without a loss of enthusiasm. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> When you think about people who want to generate more of that in themselves, do you have any ideas on things they can practice to 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 strengthen that within themselves? For innovation? No, the this this idea of resiliency, this ability to go from failure to failure without a loss of enthusiasm. Is it is it I, about not not being self-judgmental? I, what do you think it's about? I think you should talk about your failures and and I I find that so liberating and it takes the fear of failures away when you talk about them and I I tell people young entrepreneurs that hey talk about your failures unabashedly you know this is how many different ways I've failed and and what how what a dumb decision I made and 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 be willing to to dissect and do that unless you can deal with failure in that that publicly that's a good way to exercise it's like public speaking right unless you're you public you do the public speaking you won't get the fear of speaking out of there same thing about failure speak about it publicly tell tell people and and i think it's liberating it takes the fear away i've got so many questions we're gonna have to have you back on the show i've got too many questions for you i'd love to Okay. But I, I, I'll tell you, I mean, I have come up with a way to, my dream is this whole journey of innovation and learning about innovation. I've come up with a way to teach innovation in K through 12 or colleges or whatever, especially K through 12. I want to, uh, you know, I became an innovator because of my childhood experiences. And I want to see if there's a way to recreate those in schools. And, and I have a, I have a process figured out for that. So when I'm freed up with this, you know, the companies I'm building, I, I, if I live long enough, I'll do that. Yeah, that's exciting. You know, I'm, I'm interested. Can you, so how early were you an investor in Google? Very first round. So I, I had a, I was part of a small venture that was a couple of my friends had put together. It was called Adam Ventures. And we invested in, I think in something like 70, 80 dot coms. We were writing, you know. <laughs> hundred two hundred thousand dollar checks and google was one of them it was uh, nothing it didn't stand out compared to all the others it kind of looked the same <laughs> and that the name was weird and i i was wondering why why they named it that and what a strange name. and come you know was it 2000 when the crash happened early 2000 march of 2000 i think the internet crash most of those 81 companies evaporated shut down there were like three, three or four that succeeded. Google was the biggest success, of course. It returned the entire fund multiple times. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty fun. No, but it was, you know, a, a lot of people claim that they were really smart, that they invested in. There was absolutely zero smartness there. We were just spraying and spraying, spraying and praying. 
<laughs> and it just it was accidental and i i bet you that uh, many of the other investors who came in were also had no clue whether it was you know for the longest time google didn't have a business model they didn't know how it was going to, how they were going to monetize it their their search engine right so so i it was just an accident i can't take any um any any credit for that too funny um I'm interested. I always like, I'm a real nerd for audiobooks. I really love my audiobooks. Do you have any favorite books? You know, yeah, I, I have, I love reading biographies. I, I'm a history buff, you know, medieval history, the history of, you know, some crazy figures like Genghis Khan and, you know, why did he do what he did? And, and so, and scientific history, you know, so I want to get in, into the heads of uh, these inventors and scientists and amazing people who, who, on whose shoulders the whole world stands today. I write, like reading about their journey. It gets me inside their heads. And so I, 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 I do a lot of reading. I have about five or 8,000 books in my library. So I'm a constant buff bookworm. Yeah. Any any on innovation or any biographies of innovators that, that jump out at you? You know, I, there are so many. And, and I'm fascinated by their own stories of how they innovate. You know, so there was this Indian mathematician. His name was, uh, was probably 100 years ago. His name was Ramanujan, brilliant uh, mathematician. And he, and he was so smart that he was given an opportunity to go to UK, England in the 19, early 1900s to pursue his mathematics. And I mean, he made some amazing contributions. And somebody asked him, you know, how do you, how do you innovate? How do you do this? How, do you how, how have you figured out all this mathematics? And he said, it's very simple. I, you know, I, the... He prayed to a particular goddess and he said, I, I, every morning I pray to her and, and that's where I get the inspiration. So, and, and I've heard people talk about, you know, I, when I'm showering, I get these ideas. So it's, it's really, what is really happening is your subcon subconscious self is, is continuously figuring out problems without you consciously knowing about it. And that's how, you know, these solutions pop up. The, the thing that I have found that is important is if you make a problem important enough to you and by spending time with it and whatnot, the the, then the brain is working 24-7 for you. You, don't, have, you non, don't even have to be conscious, but just make it really important to you. And, you know, that's also the basis for lucid dreaming. You know, if you are fixated on a particular thing, you'll start dreaming about, about it consciously or whatever. So I, I think the brain is an amazing, amazing thing. And uh, the more you uh, delve into it, the more, you know, that's the most amazing part of our existence is our brain. And I never seem to be, cease to be amazed about that. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, my kids, I have five kids and they are absolutely, I mean, I, I look at them and I look, I remember my childhood. I was never that smart. They were, they were I was just breaking things apart, but they're very, very smart these days. Just, I'm amazed. And if they just become more fearless and, and, and uh, don't be bounded by what, what society says about your, what you can and cannot do, that fearlessness is, is really important to innovation. Because it, you remember, innovation is, happens on the other side of your knowledge on the outside of the bounds of your knowledge. True innovation, the disruptive innovations are not already in your head. You're going to create it. You're going to expand the knowledge. So it takes 
um, fearlessness and courage to go where others have failed. And, and it's beyond your comprehension. I, you know, I started Rani, I had never thought of that problem before that. And I said, well, you know, I'm not afraid of failure. So I'll start breaking down the problem, trying to understand it, framing it. And it took me two years of doing that thought experiments till I came up with the, with the current solution. So failure is, is really such a powerful aspect of innovation. Embrace it. Deal. Okay, I will. It, it's interesting because, you know, risk mitigation is important, mm-hmm. right? And nobody wants to make any extra failures, but risk avoidance, like oh, I'm just, the, risk avoidance means that I'm not going to get anything done, right? Yeah, yeah. You, you'll never cross the Rubicon. Yeah. Listen, this has been so great. We really are going to have to have it's you back a, on the show. I, uh, it's a, such a such a pleasure and honor to meet you, and and what you're doing is absolutely fascinating. And <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd love to uh, have you come and visit my research lab, and I'll show you all the crazy things I do. And and where are you guys? San Jose. We're you're uh, right in San Jose. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, everyone, thanks for listening. Go check out uh, RonnieTherapeutics.com, and and hope everyone enjoyed this. Such a pleasure meeting you. Thank you.